folks, it's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Welcome, folks. Steve Williamson here. We've got a fairly full studio, and we've we've got a caller. Hava is here. Good morning. And we have Karen McClellan, who's our our expert on state politics. And Karen has found us a a caller who's even more of an expert yeah. because she's in state politics. She's a state representative. You want to introduce yeah. her, Karen? Since, since since you're the only one who knows her, who she is. No, <laughs> we're, we're in northern, Missy, we're in northern Arizona. We don't know much about uh, uh, anything up here. Yeah. We're just kind of like Hicks, you know. Yeah, hi, this is Karen. Uh, yeah, Mitzi is a state representative. She's been representing a district in South, and then Phoenix that includes part of Mesa, Tempe, Ahwatukee, Chandler, sort of the south, the uh, southeast sort of part of uh, Phoenix since 2016, which is, I think, when I met her when she was running at that point. Um, she's a, a computer background. And this legislative session, with all of the restrictions on length of time for debate, she was sort of by default became the Democrat that talked a lot about the questions on the budget this year and the financial questions and, and those those issues. Yeah, um, yeah. She's been down down there a long a long time. She's you know, a, a really active Democrat, and she represents a district which is one of those in Arizona that, since our last redistricting, grad has turned more blue, went from sort of red to blue. There's now three Democrats in her district. A decade ago, there weren't. Mm-hmm. So it's an area of Phoenix that's been changing somewhat in its demographics. So, Missy, the Welcome. question we usually ask uh, 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 people who work in state politics or representative is. Uh, uh, you know, is is how bad is the budget? Terrible, more terrible than that, or ter- terrible than terrible? Uh, so I think that's what what Karen wants to to focus on today. Yeah, yeah. I thought we'd give Mitzi a chance, you know, to talk because we all know that the the recent legislative session we talked about some things last week included an awful lot of things which most of us don't like, and I think in most Arizonans, regardless of party, are not really in favor of one. One of which is the fact of Arizona cuts taxes every year. So this budget not only cut taxes, but changed our whole tax structure. And that will go into effect in a year or two. So Mitzi's pretty good at trying to explain what they've done and how it affects average Arizonans versus millionaires. So do you want to give us the 30-second <laughs> uh, overview on that part of the budget, Mitzi? Sure. Hi, thanks, everybody. I'm the ranking member on the Ways and Means Committee, which means... Uh, the ranking Democrat on budget, and therefore I actually led on the budget work in the House and the Senate among the Democrats. So this is, um, this is in a word, a rotten budget. It is the most <laughs> rotten budget I have seen in the 20-plus years that I've been watching the Arizona legislature. And it is a, a big part of the rottenness is that it's a huge tax cut only for the very, very richest, mostly people who make over a million dollars a year, uh, so this is a big tax cut for the very wealthiest. They get to buy a few super luxury cars. I don't know what luxury cars anymore. <laughs> Ferrari. Um, you get to buy a cup of coffee. Mm. So yeah. that's how bad this is. And the luxury cars are going up in price, Mitzi, so maybe they can only get one and a half instead of two. <laughs> so this is the yeah. worst budget ever, right? 
And, and, and Arizona, if I understand it right, now you can correct me, Arizona taxes are regressive anyway. 60% of the income or so comes from state uh, sales taxes, which is regressive. And now we have, um, we have a state income tax that's going to be regressive. Yes, that is just the worst thing. So normally when you put taxes together, if you're a careful and considerate person as a lawmaker, you want a bundle of taxes that each provides different kinds of things. So one type of tax provides um, stability. Another kind of tax provides uh, progressiveness. Other taxes are regressive and so on. And some taxes are great because we call them exportable, meaning tourists pay them. Oh, and we love that up here in popular. Sedona. <laughs> <laughs> Almost all our taxes are are. Um, what do you call it? Externalized? Exportable. <laughs> Exportable, yes. Call it. yes. <laughs> um, yeah. We don't even have a property tax in Sedona because the tourist uh, sales tax and uh, bed tax, bed tax yeah, mm. cover it. Wow, that's tremendous. In uh, down here in Maricopa County, we rely on our property tax quite a bit. It doesn't keep people from from denouncing the city government for I'm a taxpayer here and and they're not paying any taxes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this is Arizona, so we do expect that kind of thing. So tell us a little bit of, uh, more about it. Karen knows uh, a lot of it. Uh, Hava lives down in the, in the Phoenix area. Maybe they have um, uh, more detailed questions. It's. For me, it's an experience of appalling budget after appalling budget, appalling legislative session after appalling legislative session. Why don't you explain exactly how this ended up? Because I know that we're right where things are we're up in the air, several different ways things could go. Yes, they are. So I'm going to talk about four parts as an overview and then let you ask more questions about it. But um, the four rotten parts of taxes are... We start with a flat income tax, which is really bad because in order to be fair and equitable, we want our income tax to be progressive because all the other taxes are regressive. So this, this flat tax idea only makes the income tax be everybody pays 2.5% of their income tax. But we'll talk more about that. It, it makes everything else even more regressive. The second thing is what I call the trust fund loophole, which is... You know, they, the uh, Republicans didn't like that the investment education initiative mm-hmm. passed, and so they created a great big loophole that if you have, a, if you own a business or you have a trust fund, um, and you are extremely wealthy, making probably over a million dollars to be eligible, then you can report your business or trust fund income in a separate way, so that you can p- completely avoid paying the investment education. Fund, uh, uh, tax at all the surcharge. Mitzi, let's go back to the to what that initiative did, what it what it what it spelled out, and then explain a little more for the for folks who don't know. Great idea, right? So, the Invest in Education initiative was passed in 2020. It was teachers and parents and students and grandparents and small business owners working hard to pass this initiative that would be more money for schools right around $900 million, which is very much a big need. And it would be money that we would ask our wealthiest Arizonans to pay a 3.5% surcharge on the income they make over, say for a married couple, $500,000 in a year. So if you made 
$501,000 in a year, only that $1 would be have the extra surcharge to pay of 3.5%. And it just seemed very, very fair. It seemed so fair that 1.6 million voters said, yes, let's say yes to this invest in education surcharge. I think the the point you made is really important that it's the the amount of money over five hundred thousand you're not having extra taxes on your first five hundred thousand in income, so it leaves me out of the uh, yes. <laughs> schedule well, generally, when we did the analysis, it was only about the one percent of Arizona taxpayers are eligible to pay this because their individual income is that high that they would pay it. So what what is what's the effect of the trust fund and uh, in other words it lets people out of paying this this surcharge right right essentially what I call the trust fund loophole is uh, it was Senate Bill seventeen eighty three for those who have been watching that sort of thing uh, it says if you report your business or your trust fund income on this new form that we're going to create then it won't count towards the education, invest in education surcharge. We'll just report it in a different area and therefore it doesn't add up, to, it doesn't add up to say 500,000. And then you don't have to pay the surcharge. It's a, it's a loophole. How much did it cut in to the amount of tax that would have been raised for education, uh, Mitzi? The expectation is that it's going to cut education funding by about $300 million. Oof. So compared to what we're Taking in for specifically for education right now, this will cut about $300 million from it, which is wow. substantial. That's about $300 per child. Uh, Hava is looking up to the sky, <laughs> except that there's a ceiling here in the studio. Uh, I, I, think, I think the nice thing is that she's shocked by this. <laughs> Yeah, and Mitzi was also, before she ran for the legislature, she was a school board member down in the Kyrene School District in the Phoenix area. So she's followed this, and she was a school board member when we were still occasionally getting increases back in the earlier part of the 2000s before the recession. Yeah, so she's seen, seen sort of firsthand what you know, that lack of money has done to the schools in the last decade. They just won't tax the wealthy, will they? It, it, I mean, the thing that's been consistent, just uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt yeah. you, but the thing that's been consistent my whole lifetime is, is Republicans have gone from being conservative about American institutions to being destructive toward them. But, but the one thing that's been consistent my entire lifetime, which is now a long lifetime, is that they don't want the rich to be taxed. Mm-hmm. You are right, Steve. That And that is my mission, is to bring more equity to Arizona. Because year after year after year, it has been favors to the very, very, very richest few people. And everybody else pays. And so I don't even mind if we have nice things happen for the very, very, very richest few. That's okay. But it means when we do that, it means everybody else pays. And that's the problem. So we end up, as you talked about earlier, Steve, that Arizona's tax structure overall leaves those who make the least paying the highest percentage of their income in Arizona. So sometimes I, when I'm in a group and we're standing around and live and in person, I'll take uh, four or five people from the audience who are various heights, and you start, and I start with the very tallest person because that represents somebody just coming out of school, getting their first job. Their income is kind of low, and yet they pay the highest percentage 
of their income in their state and local taxes, the highest percentage. We ask those who are making the least, who are just starting out, to pay the highest percentage of their income in state and local taxes. It's a a backwards way to run a state. You're right, Steve. And we've been doing this for, I think, 30 years. We've cut taxes every year. And I don't know if the Republicans said the same thing this year. I know some of this was to avoid prop, the invest in ed. But for years, the Republicans said, oh, if we cut our taxes low, we'll have more business coming to Arizona. It will trickle down. The job creators will all come. And that hasn't happened to the same degree that they said, because we all know we've heard of big companies that have chosen not to come to Arizona despite our low taxes because of other issues, education, housing, you know, various other things where they, they feel their employees will have a better life elsewhere, even if the corporation can pay lower taxes in Arizona. And were the Republicans still on this one talking about the idea that this will help boost the economy? Is that still yeah. their reason for cutting yeah. taxes? That's a very insightful question. That is the, the problem is that's all they talk about. Is they, the governor, every time he talks about this big tax cut, he says, we we're the most competitive. Well, the only thing he means is we're the most competitive in a race to the bottom, mm-hmm. in a race to the lowest income tax rates for the very richest. We're competitive. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's bad. Let's face it. That is not going to help Arizona because... Having the lowest income tax rates doesn't pay to get the roads paved. It doesn't pay to get a, the quality of education that we all want and need for the state of Arizona. So all they have been looking at is how do we, as Stephen Kearney both pointed out, the only thing they're focused on is competition for the lowest taxes for the very richest. And so I always let people know when I talk about this, you know, you'll hear Governor Ducey and other Republican Party leaders say Arizona is a low in, a low tax state. It's only low taxes for the very wealthiest. Arizona is actually a high tax state for everybody else, and that's what we have. To, that's what I'm trying to fix. I don't want Arizona to continue to be a high tax state. And, and you live out one of those areas that includes some of the edges of Phoenix, where there's been a lot of growth in recent in in recent areas. You've got some big industry out in that area. And since like the last decade or so of these big tax cuts, do you think that's helped in the economy and your part of Phoenix? Because up here, of course, we don't have the kind of industry and the jobs that do get attracted to Phoenix. And I know your part of your district is out there on that rapidly growing edges of Phoenix. Have you seen? Do you think you've seen any benefits from all these tax cuts? Is that why maybe more industry has moved to your area, more jobs? Or? <laughs> Karen, I, again, a great question. Um, so, you know, Intel is in my backyard. Love it. Having a, a major employer that makes really terrific products in my backyard is fantastic. But I'll be honest with you, a lot of these um, economic development programs that we've put together in Arizona have been to encourage companies like Intel and other chip makers like TSMC and, and so on to locate in Arizona. Now, on the one hand, Arizona is just a great place to be a, a chip maker for making making chips for computers. Um, chips, when you manufacture computer chips, you need stability, no earthquakes, no floods, mm. no uh, disasters, and Arizona has got that. <laughs> we are rock solid because we're built on rocks, you know. And 
So, but, you know, all by itself, we're a good place for those manufacturing companies to come. But then on top of that, the um, Arizona government has offered many wonderful incentives. And, and you know what, I'm in favor of many of them. We have a research um, tax credit that is a really good thing that is why we have so much technology in Arizona. But I also tend to tell people this, you know, sometimes these tax credits feel like you make a deal, you buy a really great car, and you pay a fair price for it, and you drive it around with the car, and then a couple of years later, the dealer comes back and says, oh, you like that car? Pay me more for it now. And that's why I feel like the deal we've got going on with some of our uh, corporations mm-hmm. to whom we've given some great tax incentives. They'll say, oh, this has been a great tax break for our corporation. Now we want more tax breaks. And there comes a time when you say, mm, no. <laughs> I and think, we're getting close to that time. I think one of the other things that is, is not tax breaks is that Arizona is sexy. It's got all the sports you could want. Young people like uh, – when I was talking to people in the in the industry, what they wanted was a place where their employees would be happy and be willing to move to. And Phoenix sounds really good, you know. If you're in Indianapolis, you say, "Hey, we got a new new facility in Phoenix, and you got skiing, and you got summer sports, and you can, you know, go down, to, go to the beach." It's just the so it, it, the lifestyle I think uh, appeals to a lot of people now in in Phoenix, um, the nightlife. Not bars and restaurants and all of that, but pre-COVID anyway, that's a real draw for younger employees. And the only one that's that where I think Arizona is weak is is something Karen talks a lot about, which is the school system. As as employees get a little older, they really look carefully for how good the school system is. Where and I are guess, we in the country? In yeah, where are we? Uh, yeah. Well, as you may know, our uh, teachers are paid at the rock bottom in the country, and our funding for pupil is, has been, as Karen and I both know, <laughs> at the bottom, st- stably at the bottom for the past 20 years. Yeah, we sort of go between so, 46th, 48th, 49th, back and forth, and uh-huh. every time we put a little bit of money in, we move from like 48th to 47th, and then we drop <laughs> oh back. But we, we've still been in that bottom five and that's including, sometimes that includes like the District of Columbia, well, uh, Puerto Rico sometimes and places like that. It Has it always been that way? Um, in, since around the 80s. Mm-hmm. They started to cut some of this back in, in the 80s and the things, and we just have never, and we never, we have never recovered from that 2008 recession. Mm-hmm. Arizona cut the most of any state proportionally out of for its education, all levels, including community college and universities. And we've never, we're barely back to what we were spending in 2008. Wow. And that was 12, wow. you, know, you know, and that's 14 years ago almost now. So, you know, we're, we're, we never, we haven't progressed. To, you'd expect us to be, you know, 2008 plus a couple percent every year for inflation. And we're not anywhere near that level. And what about community colleges? I understand the state has really cut support. So all the support from uh, what the colleges comes from uh, people in the area. Um, is there, is there, I guess my question is an impossible. Is there any way? There's no way to stop this from continuing these tax cuts for the wealthy, these cuts to education, except to elect Democrats to the legislature, right? Because they're passing all this stuff, as I understand it, with one vote. Yes, there's a one-vote difference in our state legislature, and 
uh, it's in the wrong direction. <laughs> we needed to be at least one more Democrat. Right now we have one more Republican, and that's why they do whatever the Republican leadership, the Republican Party leadership. I keep stressing that my gripe is with the Republican Party leadership, not with Republican values such as let's be conservative and careful about spending money. Mm-hmm. You know, that's perfectly my fine. Voters out there who feel <laughs> I want to be careful about spending money, that's a good thing. I don't mm-hmm. have any problem with that. But the Republican Party leaders are the ones who keep pushing for more and more favors only for the very, very richest yeah. among us. And so the way to reverse that and the way to invest in all of Arizona is to elect Democrats. Do we have any opportunities for that coming up in the midterms? Or does that yes, not affect the... Certainly, uh, you know, the state legislators are elected all over again every two years, kind okay. of like congressmen are elected every two years. So we have a great opportunity in 2022 once again and I know that we will have wonderful uh, candidates running in the Sedona area again um, who will be Democrats who will have a really solid chance of ousting a couple of Republicans who have uh, brought Arizona in the wrong direction. So we're looking forward to that. And there are several other places around the state where people have just walked up and said no. Your district is one of those that's sort of gone from red from red to blue over the last decade, if I recall correctly. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, right. back after the last redistricting that was Republicans, now it's three Democrats. So that's the, and that's the way that the trend is going. I heard I don't know if it was you, I heard one of the Democrats mentioning that during one of the budget debates that it's since that two thousand and eight election when the Republicans had a supermajority every election since then their majority has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller we just kept the last little hump of those one or two seats but what yeah. I see is they're passing all this extreme legislation folks they're passing all this extreme legislation favoring the wealthy with one vote I mean they're just one vote up and that hasn't stopped them and I, I heard there's some discussion well what if we you know what if it's a 50-50 break in the, and uh and uh, we need to pass all the most extreme stuff we can now because things could shift. I, I, I think there's some discussion in Republican circles. But the idea that it's just it, what frustrates me is they've doubled down on all the extreme stuff as they've lost more and more seats and are just barely ahead in both houses. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a question, Mitzi, but <laughs> what's it like to be down there? I guess, you know, we, we wonder, uh, um, they so cut Democrats out of any discussion uh, and so limit what you can say or how much time you have to say anything. Is it, is it a frustrating experience or are you energized by it? <laughs> a little of both. You know, on the one hand, yes, it's frustrating to constantly be told that uh, we have a limit to the amount of time we can spend. So, you know, this past budget debate. They limited the debate for each of these enormous budget bills. There are 11 of them. Each one deserves a couple hours at the very least. And they limited it to 30 minutes was all we could talk about the budget in yeah. debate. That's yeah. ridiculous. The one tax bill I happened to buy, I, I printed it out. I didn't mean to because um, I was printing out something on the referendum. It's, a, it's 100 pages. Well, yeah. on, on the t- and that's just the tax part of the budget. She's sitting there with a huge pile of papers that she's printed out, which I'm going to ask her to read after oh, yeah. the show. <laughs> well, I was printing out, and what's what's happening in Arizona? I mean, we are 
because of a, of a very progressive constitution back in, in 1912, we have you know, abilities to do initiatives, recalls of different things. And one of the things that Arizona voters can do is collect signatures to repeal a specific law. And we've had – we did the voucher law some years ago. They did some things on voting rights even before. It's rare. But this year, because it looks like there may be three separate uh, referendum on tax-related issues, there are three separate referendum already filed on laws regarding voting and the permanently voting list and a few other aspects of that. So we may have Arizonans out there in, you know, the, in Phoenix you know, in 110-degree heat in the next 90 days to collect signatures mm-hmm. to put these on the ballot. And there's a good chance that the people will get those signatures and put it on the ballot. And then we'll be back, and who knows, we may have a chance to show again that the Arizona electorate, regardless of who they vote for, is not in favor of what the Republican you know, legislators are doing. And yeah. That's an interesting right problem, right? Yeah. Right, Misty, is that the, the public, when they polled on issues and stuff, is much more, not liberal, but they're much more centrist than the Republican, extreme Republican legislature, which sometimes, I mean, uh, one of our representatives up here vies with the very bottom of what a representative can be, uh, really a, a, a fanatic, a right-wing fanatic. Um, and these are the people who get elected when Democrats lose. And I would just urge Democrats to, to be active. And, mm-hmm. and we really have to take this next uh, series of election um, seriously. If you want people like Mitzi who think about the, the Constitution, who think about uh, tax fairness, schools, then you really, do have to, you really do have to get out and organize and vote. Mm-hmm. So that's my speech. Karen, you got some facts. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's always the speech. But you know, this, this particular budget and things, I think, shows even more than some of the others. Because before, like the tax cuts have been sort of blended and shaded and little things like a, a tax credit here and a little tax cut there and a little tax exemption somewhere else. This one, with the sort of revamping of the tax structure, puts it out front and center. The thing I have here said that, uh, you know, like lots of us living up here who are retire, retirees who weren't millionaires when we were working, you know, we're, we may get, so oh, 13 to 50 bucks out of this, this tax thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you make 200, you know, $25,000, you're going to get $2,700 back. You know, a $224,000 income, it's not even a million, but those guys get 2700 bucks, and I will get $13. Right. Yeah, and that's just sort of crazy uh, to you know, have something like that. If we, you know, if, if they gave the, you know, the, if they wanted, like you said, to give a tax cut, give more of the tax cut to the people on the bottom and then give the people on the top some, at least we'd have some balance. Yeah. Because a lot more of us towards that bottom could use a $2,700 tax break. The problem is the people with, with, the, with the least amount of money are paying the same state income taxes the people yeah. who make millions of dollars or yeah. brought millions of dollars here yeah. it, it both hurts the, ex- the economy in that sense but it's also the problem i think with yeah. mitzi rose with fairness right well in arizona's right. relied so much on sales tax that now up here in um the sedona yavapai county where you're inside the city of sedona in yavapai county your sales tax is 10 percent in a bit between the sit between um, the city taxes, county taxes, and state taxes, and that's just crazy. That's enough to make people think twice about buying something. You know, if you're going to go buy a new refrigerator and you're looking at a couple thousand dollars, that's a lot of sales tax to pay up here. And that again is a really regressive tax, and we just rely so heavily because it's, it's yeah. just all. It's like um, it's. The, the, 
it's regressive taxes mm-hmm. wherever you look and wherever the, the state uh, Republican Party has had control of things. Mitzi, what's in this budget that we that we don't know about? And and uh, Karen told us before the show one time that that there was a whole lot of stuff put into the budget at the last minute. That uh, even though she follows it closely, she didn't know what had been decided, what made it in, and what didn't, because it was one of these. Was it? A, what, I believe it was one of these midnight sessions, right? Well, actually, the House did not. You know, we have one member, thank goodness the Republican Party decided to be decent to their couple of members who have some uh, health issues, but and, and just, you know, being decent to human beings, and they, we did not have midnight sessions in the House of Representatives. The Senate did, because, well, that's what they do. But um, <laughs> So what's in there? Let, let me talk about one really good thing that is in this budget, um, and that's unemployment insurance reforms. Finally, we have updated them. So uh, can you guess how long it's been since the last time we've updated anything on unemployment insurance? Hava's going to guess, Hava. 20 years. You, that's a very good guess. It was 2004 was the last time that we updated the weekly supplement amount. Wow. And that's how much money do you get each week if you're on unemployment insurance. So 2004, yeah, almost 20 years. And other parts of it have not been updated since 1983. And I always remember that date because that's the year I was married. And just about the only thing that I still do the same is I still have the same husband. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> um, that's a long time. That's well over 30 years. And uh, we really uh, should have updated it long ago. But we have now finally done this. And I have been working on it since March of 2020 when I first proposed an amendment to the skinny budget in 2020 to say let's increase unemployment insurance. And since then, I've been digging into the policy and trying to figure out how can we work this so that we give people an appropriate amount of money each week when they're on unemployment and still make sure that our employers are not hit with a big tax increase. And through the magic of federal dollars and various other things, we found a way to actually increase the benefits that people will get and decrease the amount that businesses uh, will be paying in their tax unemployment insurance taxes. So um, this is great news for lots of folks. So if you're looking, if you you're, end up on unemployment insurance in Arizona in the future, Sadly, this will not go into place and become effective until July of 2022. So it will take a year for it to become effective, but at least it will become effective. Uh, instead of getting only a maximum of $240 a week, you can get up to $320 per week. Still almost nothing, but... <laughs> you got it! <laughs> yeah. I mean, compared to European benefits for the same thing, it's yeah, pretty amazing. So that's a good thing that was in the budget, Nancy, yeah. that, that you worked on to try to get in there. Um, any other goodies in this uh, well, immense some, mess? Some state employees will get a little bit of a raise. So that's, you know, that double-edged sword again that Republicans always do. So they've picked the employees that they like. So <laughs> folks such as Department of Corrections, um, you can make a comment about how Republicans always want to punish people, but, you know... <laughs> Um, so Department of Corrections and a few other very select state employees will get pay raises. That's a good thing. 
But other state employees, let me tell you something. I did a little back of the napkin analysis, and we're working on much better numbers. But the bottom line is that um, this is our state employees, when you graph what they, they're getting paid, it's an alligator graph. So think of an alligator with a mouth wide open. And the top of the alligator's mouth is where the state employees' wages would go if they just kept up with inflation, following that top of the alligator's mouth, right? And the bottom of the alligator's mouth, that bottom jaw, that's where they actually are. So, you know, take somebody who made $65,000 20 years ago, they should be making around $96,000 just by inflation adjustment. And they're only at about 78000 again, back of the napkin, for state employees. That's like a $20,000 that they're missing out on because our Republicans have not even refused to keep up with inflation. Which, of course, leads to, time after time. leads to shortages of people to fill some of those positions, which adds yeah. to some of the issues we've had over the years. Um, the Department of Corrections is one where they've had problems, vacancies, um, child protective services, some of these other aspects of the more social type agencies because the pay is, again, the pay is so like teachers that those people who are professionals choose not to do that job. They may be here in Arizona, but they've chosen some other line of work, mm. you know, because we've got yeah. short. Well, child protection. Yeah. Uh, social uh, yeah, social those, workers of yeah, all kinds. Yeah. Seem to be extremely difficult. Those, uh, when yeah. I, we've interviewed those folks, have an extremely difficult job and it, uh, they didn't do anything for them, right, Mitzi? It's mostly just for corrections, and I, I understand that uh, that that that's the priority for Republicans. And I don't know that it's just that they want to punish people. It's just <laughs> it's I don't know. I mean, I don't think that it's. I mean, I don't even think they think about it anymore. And I so, when you're saying corrections, you mean all of law enforcement agencies, prison, 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 okay. prison officers, okay. those that yeah. are working okay. in the prisons, not. The Department of Public Service, which is separate, or you know, okay. or the trickle-down money for the county sheriffs and the, you know, city police forces. These are the actual employees working in the correctional system at mm-hmm. some level. And, th- and those, of course, that are state employees. We still have a lot of corrections employees who are employed by private, comp- private mm-hmm. for-profit companies right. you know, who also are not well-paid, which is another aspect of our corrections-related problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would right. seem a bad idea not to pay them well because of the uh, temptations to uh, to make money on the side and stuff. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but it's just low pay for people in positions like that. I I, well, I, I was really disturbed by the low pay for for child protective folks because of the uh, because of the difficulty of their work, because of um, sometimes even the danger of their work, uh, kind of gets. Overlooked, and we had a whole series of scandals oh, back four or five years ago, right, Karen? Yeah. And, but okay, Mincy, what is the the worst thing they did? Is that would you say that was the flat tax on income? Right, the flat tax is the worst, and and it's because we will have much less revenue, over two billion dollars less in revenue with the various tax cuts that are involved in this package. So that's going to put us. Uh, in a terrible spot if we have any kind of a hiccup in the economy. And, you know, even right now, it means that we're not paying folks, like you just talked about, uh, child protective services, and also caregivers for the developmentally disabled. Mm -hmm. They did a study that showed that they face a $150 million gap in state funding, and this budget only provides $30 million of that. You know, which is, again, these people do very 
important work that takes skill yeah. and takes it is physically exhaust and emotionally exhausting in many ways. And we, we I so admire them, and they deserve a raise. And yeah, this, this is part of this overall Republican idea that all of those services could be better provided privately. You know, we've tried with we've tried the idea with corrections that hasn't really worked. You know, we've got vouchers to try to you know divert education into a private education. We've got for-profit charter schools. And I think a lot of this is idea that the private industry, by definition, always does anything better than the state. And we know when it comes to these things like education, social services, these are things which the private industry really doesn't do better than the state because those things are not meant really to be profit-making But ideas. I think that is yeah. a core Republican belief that, mm-hmm. that anything the state does, a private sector can do better. And, and it's astonishing they would go to prisons to do <laughs> To have for-profit prisons, I mean, that's something like out of a science fiction novel, I think. <laughs> uh, Missy, what else? So, this, so the budget's done, and, and what else should we be looking for? What, what should folks focus on now? Well, one last, uh, I'm sorry to say bad news, that will not be fixed. So three of the worst are going to be, be- um, go to the ballot. The education folks are going to bring them to the ballot, and we'll re- repeal them. But there's one that is a sneaky tax shift that is going to be going on, and that one is going to go forward. I don't know of any plan to put it on the ballot. And that goes like this. So your it's a tax cut for commercial property tax. So for those who pay property taxes, it they would now be assessed less if it's a commercial property. And the problem with that is that it shifts the cost from commercial property tax owners that are paying it now over to homeowners would have to pay more. Uh, We get the idea. I don't know if (laughs) folks know this is going to happen to them. They're just going to, you know, people just look at the high sales tax. They don't understand why we have high sales tax. Mm. And and this is going to be the same kind of thing. People are going to say, you know, uh, hey, my... my, my taxes are going up. They're not going to look at the, the process or how this shifts the problems downhill so people will get angry at their local city or their county or their school district as they look at property tax bills going up, not understanding that those local organizations had nothing to do with it. Right. They had no option. You know, they have a certain amount of money they need to raise. And, and if it's going to you know, lower the commercial property tax, it means you're going to raise the residential property tax. And we've, you know, so much time in Arizona, I mean, you've probably seen that, I know I'm talking to constituents, is people get mad at at the county or the city when they should be getting mad at the legislature. Mm -hmm. And that's where the anger needs to be directed, and that's where people need to understand that that person sitting in that chair has more to do with your financial life than the mayor of your town or your county supervisors necessarily. Mm -hmm. And in Sedona, of course, it's not even... um just economic. The Airbnbs are, are kind of denuding the city. I hear there's 105 of them now in Uptown, which is a fairly small area. 105. Wow. And, it's a thousand uh, or two thousand rooms that yeah. are now available in Sedona every night, basically completely unregulated. Yes, there are more Airbnb rooms than there are hotel rooms. <laughs> and hotel rooms. Well, really? anyway, we could go on and on. But the point is, Mitzi, that the legislature is doing a lot of really bad things that the, the local population, unless they really look at, you know, people don't want to spend time looking at state politics. 
You know, they want you guys to go and do it and solve the problems and be good representatives, and they don't want to have to think about it. And as a consequence, they don't understand the impact of uh, some of what uh, some of Ducey's initiatives have done to the to the city, the damage they've done to us. Right, and uh, the one last thing, Steve, is water, because you you two certainly hit the nail on the head about how uh, homeowners will end up getting mad at the county and the city and the school district about their property taxes if they see them going up and sales taxes going up. But the truth is, it's the state legislature causing it all. So, but the next topic then is water, if I may. Um, there is so little in this budget to plan for water, and yet we see Lake Mead at the lowest it has ever been since they just filled it. And where's the plan? It, it's just, I mean, there's this, this odd little $200 million deposit into sort of a fairy tale water plan. That yeah, we've done some make it. some shows. I know Steve has done some things in the past on on that issue, and that's something that's sort of a as a priority issue to talk about because there's local issues up here, you know. And but you're right, there's been no long term water policy. It's the well, our state legislature has a two year cycle of thought. So we have this less and less water in in some more of more the reservoirs, <laughs> and and we have it's something the legislature is kind of. Pretending to do a little bit, but basically ignoring uh, an upcoming problem, right? They just mm-hmm. they just don't want to do anything about it because what? There's no pressure to do anything about it. Why? Why would you think that? I mean, it's pretty obvious that you can see that we've got to, ha- to do something about water issues. It's been building mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. There are real disparities. There's really problems with the amount of Colorado River. We could go on yeah. and on and on. Um, I smell a show coming on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I'll tell you what. If you have that show, be sure to ask uh, Representative Stephanie Saul Hamilton to it. Right. She had a great amendment offered to the budget that would have um, instituted a, uh, a program that actually has bipartisan support to some extent that would have taught, worked on groundwater. You know, in Arizona, our groundwater um, is sort of if you own a patch of ground, you own all the water beneath it. But if the guy next to you builds a deeper well, they get your water. Mm. And, you know, this would have sort of yeah. created some measure. We're going to run out of time here, Mitzi. Mitzi, so we're going to have to sort of yeah. cut, cut you off there. Uh, we do want to. Because our uh, time sort of always disappears really yeah. fast in the yeah. show. <laughs> I mean, 45 minutes, people think that's so long, but look how quickly it's gone by. Um, we want to thank the Democrats of the Red Rocks for their consistent support. I recommend everybody check regularly at the Democrats of Red Rock webpage for for their for their upcoming uh, breakfast. Uh, we want to thank the Yavapai Democrats for their support, and we want to thank El Portal, which is a, the most pet friendly luxury hotel in America, would be my guess, uh, for their support. We really do appreciate the, the consistent uh, support. Um, Hava, Karen, last thoughts before we let Mitzi go? Um, no, a great um, our, Steve mentioned our Democratic breakfast this Thursday. We have Reginald Bolding um, also talking about the legislative session. So t- tune in for that. So. Oh, great. Yeah. So, folks, all our uh, shows are on, available on podcast. They're available from our website, usually the next day, sometimes the same day mm-hmm. as we Gary's broadcast really now. Gary Lamaster needs a shout-out for the brilliant yes, job. Thank you, Gary. Yeah, uh, he's done on the website. So all of our shows for the last 10 years are on there. And uh, it's, it's a credible education. And uh, we've talked to 
it, that's 520 shows or so, 540 shows. So we've really talked to a lot of folks about a lot of yeah. things. Go dive in. Spend some time. Yeah. We have yeah. some. Well, some thanks, really- guys. Thank you, Mitzi. Yeah, thanks, so Mitzi, for being with us. Yeah. Thank you very much. Goodbye, folks. We'll Tune in see next you week. Next week. Thanks so much. been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.